Blog Talk Radio. Hear ye! Welcome to the Osmology Podcast, presented by AccessFilms.com. Osmology is the study of things that are awesome. Here we talk about things we love, things we don't love, and things we find interesting. The show is hosted by Ben Wiggins of Access Films. And now, hear ye, hear ye. The Academy of Awesomeology is now in session. Hear ye, hear ye. We are once again in session. I am your host, Ben Wiggins, and we are live from Texas and California. Joining me today are uh, two guys, one of which you have heard before and the other of which you have not. Um, Scott Davis will be a familiar voice to some of you. Scott, say hello. How's it going, everybody? It's going great here. And uh, Josh Perriman from College Station, Texas. Josh, uh, how are you doing today? Well, good afternoon or evening or, um, as they say in these here parts, howdy. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Um, For our listeners out there, we appreciate you guys uh, bearing with us. The show's gone through uh, some different evolutions. We were talking a little bit about uh, before the show about uh, sort of some of the changes that we've gone through over the past several months. And, again, we appreciate you bearing with us. But we've got an exciting show, a packed show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the culture of Christianity, the world's largest religion. And uh, we're going to kick it off by talking about uh, embattled Rowan County clerk, uh, Kim Davis. Uh, she's been all over the news recently, and she will return to work on Monday. Her attorneys uh, have thus far uh, refused to clarify whether she will allow her deputies to continue issuing marriage licenses, as they have since a uh, week before last. If she doesn't, it could restart, restart, that is, a new cycle of contempt of court. It's in her back to jail for, again, violating a federal court order. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of this case, Let's talk a little bit, uh, in, you know, from a broad general standpoint on um, the churches. Uh, what is exactly, what is the Bible's stance on homosexuality, and what is the church's stance on homosexuality, and how does that kind of fit into the modern world? Um, so, Scott, I'm going to kick this one over to you first. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole Kim Davis Saga, like what? What are your what are your thoughts on the the Supreme Court ruling, and and how do we as Christians exist in a world where, uh, where you know being gay is starting to become kind of like being left-handed? What what does this mean for us? Well, I think ultimately what it what it really should mean is, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to be people um, in the world, not of the world. So. The, you know, the governments will be governments. People will do what they're going to do. Um, but even the religion, I think, kind of changes over time, um, just through understanding. But with that being said, I, I think it's pretty well established and pretty well understood that homosexuality is not something that's generally condoned in the Bible. Um, but I think there starts to be a separation of things that aren't condoned and then you know, what is supposed to be, what is currently considered abhorrent to Christianity. Um, It gets things like this Kim Davis situation. So just because something may not be condoned in the Bible um, doesn't mean that, you know, these people are enemies by any means. And and if you look at who Jesus spent his time with, um, you know, they they were the sinners. You know, it was uh, the tax collector Peter who 
was representing the Roman Empire, and he was hated by all the other Jews, and that's who, um, you know, Jesus walked with. So I think it's important to bring these people, um, whether it be homosexuality, adultery, um, any other form of, of what's considered a Christian sin, um, and you, and I'm sure everyone's heard the adage: you don't you don't hate the sinner, you hate the sin. So, right. And, and I'm, I'm actually going to talk about the culture of Christianity. When we talk about the culture of Christianity, that's not where we are today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the culture of Christianity has so far departed from uh, you know scripture and religious teachings, um, and I and I think that's largely due to the way churches practice today. Um, that oh, that's an interesting point. Full knowledge of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I want to I want to come back to that, but I, I'm I'm going to push back a little bit on the point you made. So, to to my knowledge, um, and and there there may be something that I missed, or you know, a lot of different things could be the case here. But to my to my understanding, the most direct reference that the New Testament and the Old Testament is you know it's kind of a different matter. But the most direct reference mm-hmm. I'm aware of to homosexuality in the New Testament is in Romans. Um, where the, the verse reads, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it here, but uh, then they gave themselves over to the unnatural and their men lay with men and their women lay with women. Um, and so my response, I, I thought a lot, a lot about this verse. Um, and my chief concern in addressing this verse in Romans is that homosexuality, and again, there could be a translational issue, there could be any number of things happening here, but homosexuality, to my understanding, is is fairly natural, in fact. It occurs in a, about 1,500 different species that I'm aware of, um, and I, I think there's a lot, as human understanding of homosexuality has changed, I think that something like that, we just sort of have to reevaluate how we're looking at things from a scientific standpoint. And it, 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 some, some might say, well, that shouldn't influence our theology. And my response is, I, I think that's a dangerous place to be coming from. I think that it has to influence our theology. Um, I don't know. So, Josh, before we, before we go any farther, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to throw this over to you. And then, Scott, I, I, I want to hear your thoughts. On uh, sure. on you know your a second round of thoughts from you on this as well, but yeah. Josh, what are your what are your thoughts on the Kim Davis saga so far? Oh, okay, well on Kim Davis in particular, I just feel bad for her because the the Supreme Court changed the law on her, and all of a mm. sudden, what was a non-issue when she went into office now is this huge contentious issue and is being brought right. like straight to her doorstep, and she is being forced to make a difficult decision. She didn't I don't think she necessarily asked for this to happen. I don't necessarily agree right. that with her decisions or other people's decisions in the whole matter on it, but it, there's a part of me that just feels bad that, you know, she went into this job expecting certain things and then all of a sudden the whole world shifts. And and it's essentially mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things we have to keep in mind in the church on this is the church is really slow to change in a lot of things culture, particularly on the gay marriage issue, has changed extremely quickly. Over the matter of right. like a dozen years or less, the whole sh- there's been a radical shift in terms of the Democrats led the charge of the Defense, Defense of Marriage Act um, back in the 90s. And, they, you know, they all signed in and they, they all signed on to that. It was signed by Clinton. And that was, that was where popular culture was. You know, now right. it's a completely different place on that. And so that's 
you know, my first reaction is just, poor Kim Davis. She didn't really ask to be brought into this place. Now, everybody else seems to be wanting to kind of take advantage of the opportunity in, in some way, shape, or form. But for her, I just feel a little bit bad that she's, in a sense, been back to the corner. And I'm, I want to kind of give her the benefit of the doubt in terms of her religious sensibilities on this matter because it's, it's put her in a, in a tough space and, at the same time, in the, the spotlight of the entire nation, perhaps world. Well, I don't feel right. bad for her at all. Um, you know, yes, things change, laws change, and she was put in this position. Well, she asked for the position. She ran for county clerk, and she won. And you have to understand, in any elected position or even in your job, you have to adapt to change. She didn't take an oath to uphold all the existing laws on the books. The future future laws are kind of up for debate. No, she she took an oath to uphold the policies and procedures put forth by the government, and she has to adhere to that. And if she's unwilling to do that with what I believe is a flawed religious understanding, um, well, then she needs to step down and realize that she can no longer fulfill her role, uh, fulfill the position. I mean, she's a processor of, of government laws, uh, a processor of government regulations and, and, and policies. So she's nothing more. Um, she's not out there writing. Yeah, and I... I agree with you on that. I think the honorable thing for her to do is to realize that she can't change the law, and it's a law that she can't, in good conscience, uphold. The honorable thing is to step out of the role. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. But I also disagree with her, her religiously about, uh, you know, to, to Christians. You know, the part of the problem and why I use the phrase culture of Christianity is because, you know, Christians so much these days are saying they just want religious freedom you know, they just want to uh, not be persecuted by the government for this and that. But that's not really the case. They want the government to uphold their Christian beliefs. Um, and then when it comes to something that's not Christian, well, you need to let me practice and, and um, you know, my religious my religion as I see fit. So yeah, that's what's I wrong think with you're absolutely right with that. So when it comes to marriage and the Kim Davis situation in particular, let's look at what it is. It's not the definition of marriage. She identifies with the Christian definition of marriage. And what is the Christian definition of marriage? Anybody know? <laughs> what is no? I've looked, at this, question. I've looked at this question. No, I, I think it's an excellent question. Are you, so, from an academic standpoint, there is no marriage is recognized in the in Scripture, but it's not defined. Right. And who is clearly it right? Who who is a Christian marriage between? A what and a what? <laughs> Well, it depends on what chapter and verse you're so, pulling from. You, I mean, you could be the Christian most, marriage is between say, a woman and her saying, um, husband, marriage is between a man and that husband's brother. Well, a, right. a Christian says it's not between a, a real Christian should be saying they believe a Christian marriage isn't just between a man and a woman. It's between a man and a woman and God. It's a it's a trinity. It's a covenant that you're making with God and and under God. Um, so it should be arbitrary whether or not the government recognizes that or not because it is fundamentally a religious experience. It's fundamentally a religious um, agreement and covenant you're entering into with God. And that is the Christian definition of marriage. So that's what bothers her, that homosexuals are being able to uh, get married, woman and woman, man and man, what have you. But the problem is, is that she's also taking God out of the equation because it's not just... A Christian marriage is not just a man and a woman, it's man and woman and God. So should she be allowed to not sign marriage license for Muslims? What about atheists? Because that's not a Christian marriage either. How does that not violate her faith? 
man and man, woman and woman does. It doesn't make sense and it's inconsistent because Christians, by and large, and I blame again, I blame the churches, do not educate educate themselves on Scripture. Right. Well, I think that's where you're going. Let me. Let me let me throw another wrinkle into this. Uh, one of the things that we learn in you know in Sunday school from a pretty young age is that you should expect to be persecuted for your faith. But I, I think that there's there's kind of a I, I think sometimes we we as Christians may be a little too eager to seek out that uh, that that martyrdom, so to speak. Um, it, it becomes, I, I think Christianity becomes very us and them sometimes. And uh, and we really, I think, are too eager to make, you know, a given, uh, a given issue our, our hill to die on, so to speak. Um, my guess is that, the you know, the more conservative churches in Kim Davis's area and probably all over the country are saying, this is exactly what we thought would happen. Uh, you know, we, we've been told since time immemorial that we should expect to suffer for our faith. Um, and I, I don't know that there's necessarily a need for that. I think that, I think that, there, that we can find, I don't know, I'm sure this is not always well, true. I, but because I, what you're saying is why ultimately should it matter to a Christian what a government defines as a union? Because right. the government is not your arbiter of your religion. They're not the be all and all. Excuse me, the be all and all of your faith. So why should it matter what the government says is is a marriage? Here's why it matters: because the government give it, the government take it away. The reason why, the only reason why it matters is because of benefits. You know, they want the joint tax deduction. You know, they want they want to ease of paperwork, the transfer of the state without taxation. It is only because of benefits. If it wasn't for the benefits that the government grants them for being married, then Christians would not care what government calls religion um, calls marriage. So, I think now, it's a little different than that. I think I think the church went in when when it was a quote Christian nation when we were running away from the persecution in other countries and other things. The, the it was a country run by mostly Christian Christianized leaders. And so they just defined, they didn't make the, the distinctions that we make nowadays, except religion is different than culture, is different than politics, is different than government. They just kind of lumped it all together because it was a very, it was a very homogenous environment. And unfortunately, the church has kind of gotten in bed with government and allowed government, I, I agree with you that it's, it's been a mistake that the church has allowed government to define things such as marriage and for that to be the arbiter within society. We all look to government to define or fix these things. It's kind of a knee-jerk way of looking at things, and that wasn't necessarily how things were thought about several hundred years ago when this when it was first entered in. It was like, well, everybody knows that marriage is this, and therefore blah, 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 and so we'll just codify it in our laws. And now we're seeing the consequences of society and the church going in different directions. And the, and the church is maybe realizing, oh, maybe we shouldn't be in bed as closely with government um, as we had been in the past. Maybe we should reconsider some of the, the ways we're defining things and what gets codified in law in other places. And, and I agree 100%, which, which is why I've been an advocate for many, many years now, to remove government entirely from the institution of marriage because government is incapable of, of providing everybody with a religion in an equal and fair manner 
So therefore, they should have nothing to do with it whatsoever. There should not be, they should neither condone nor permit some people to get married and not others. They can't do it justly and fairly, so they shouldn't be involved in it at all. And when they do, you see things like this happen. You see a county clerk take this stand and say, oh, Ben said, because of martyrdom. No, this is, it goes against my faith, and I'm being persecuted for faith. No, you're being persecuted for your inability to do your job. And look at the precedent it sets. If we allow this, are we saying any county clerk or any public official can choose, pick and choose, which laws they want to uphold and not uphold based on their own personal religious beliefs? Christians don't have a problem with Kim Davis' situation and her being able to do it, but if there is a Muslim not allowing Christians to get married, you sure as hell better believe that they would uh, they'd have a problem with that. So, you know, again, they want freedom of religion, but they still want they still want the government to promote their religion. That's the problem with Christianity as a whole today. Okay. Well, and and using that to sort of segue into uh, our next uh, our next discussion point. One of, one of the things, and Josh, you and I were talking about this the other day. What to me the biggest issue facing our religion is that. It is. It just always seems to be between half a step and two steps behind as far as the evolution of culture and, you know, uh, there's your. I think the words you used were overly literal, somewhat patronizing, and half a step behind hip. Um, there, we're going to jump topics here. Uh, and, and talk a little bit about the narrative of Christianity, and then we're going to come back to uh, something that happened recently with the uh, with the bluebell shutdown and restart. But um, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the link that you sent over to me recently, uh, where the the Occupy Jesus, and we can talk about that title in a second. Uh, the Occupy Jesus uh, march ran into the uh, the Occupy San Francisco folks. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened and what your reaction was. Yeah, I will. Um, first of all, thank you for, for quoting that. There's, like I've had one point of brilliance in my writing in the last 20 <laughs> years, and that was it. And so I, I appreciate that, Ben, very much. <laughs> that, that, um, I stumbled across this blog posting years ago about um, – and this is the scene in San Francisco. There were two marches that happened to be going on at the same time, at the same day, on the same road. But they were starting at opposite ends. And on one end of the road was a march for the Occupy San Francisco. This is when the whole Occupy Wall Street was beginning to come about. Um, and this, uh-huh. the, the whole thing, the 99% versus the 1%. And so you had kind of a sister group march that was happening in San Francisco on this one road at one end. And at the other end, coincidentally or not, the even, an evangelical group that called itself Occupy Jesus decided to start marching on the same road in the opposite direction. So the two groups were marching towards each other. And as it was described in this blog posting, it was, they just started moving towards each other. And then all of a sudden, they came to one another. And then the two groups just marched through each other. So can you imagine, like, in a sense, kind of like what you see in a high school marching band or a college marching band where they just pass through each other? That essentially is what happened on the street. And the, the blog commentator was looking at this, and he said it was just the strangest thing that they did not interact with one another. And the reason was, and I found the blog here, instead of the clash turning into a confrontation, the two groups' ideologies were so far apart, I'm quoting, 
from each other. They were so far apart from each other that neither side had any way to challenge the other's narrative. And I was just struck by this image of culture going in one direction and church going in the other direction, and they come into what should be a point of conflict, and they can't even interact. And so the church is left without having any influence whatsoever on the world. The, the marches just kept going down the street in the opposite directions from one another. And I just thought it was a horribly sad commentary of where the church too often ended up uh, in I this think situation. A, I think it's clearly a failure in the permitting department to allow those marches to start on the same street same day, completely opposable views heading towards each other. That's a government idea. Yeah. That's what I chalked that up to. Well, and I got, I mean, I got all kinds of beefs with the Occupy movement to begin with. I think they're, I, I think they're driving at all of the wrong stuff, or at least, or at least a lot of the wrong stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree that, you know, from a, we would love for, for an organization that is built around doing the right thing and loving your neighbor and all of that sort of thing. For that to be the ideal thing would be for that and other organizations like it to be shaping the culture. And the truth is, I mean, really nothing could be further from what is actually happening. There, you know, like there's. I, I will admit myself. I listen to Christian music probably three or four times a year, and usually it's after a church service that I particularly enjoyed, and I heard a song that I really liked, and I'll download that song and listen to it and two or three others like it uh, probably three or four times over the rest of the week, and then I forget about it again. Because, honestly, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Christian music mostly isn't good. It's mostly not good. It all kind of sounds the same. Um, and uh, and thematically, it's not super diverse. Um, and wh- I guess what I'm wondering is, is there anything that we can do about issues like this you know, Josh, you and I have talked a little bit about how um, about thread, threading the needle narratively as far as providing, you know, good entertainment for Christians that is actually <laughs> good entertainment. Um, because you know the, the uh, Sherwood movies, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come right out and say this too. Sherwood movies have made a ton of movies uh, have made a ton of money because a lot of Christians go to see them. Those movies are really bad. As someone who works in the entertainment business. These films are, like, frankly, terrible, um, but uh, they still they still make a lot of money because a lot of Christians go to see them in the hopes that somebody has finally made a good, quote-unquote, Christian movie. Um, and my guess is that most people come away from those films with the same feeling that I do, which is somewhere between vague disappointment and explicit disappointment. I know. Um, what it are your... Probably uh, has, it probably has more to do with you know, what's in vogue and what's fashionable at the time. Um, you know, Christianity, ideally, the, with religion, the message doesn't change. Um, your approach may change, but the message itself should not. You know, and, and with so much of pop culture being about what's hip, what's trendy, what's new, whether it be in music or whether it be in, in, um, in movies, you know, I don't think that they're going to appeal to that that new, that that modern, that hip thing, or at least I think they struggle with it. They struggle with being able to do it. And and then you get the stereotypical people that tried it in the music industry and didn't make it so that as a as a default they kind of go for religious, you know, a religious message to try to keep some sort of career or something. So I think there's a lot of 
stigma attached to it as well. But there are groups that do well and kind of thread that needle. Like Switchfoot is a is a is a group with mainly a, a positive religious message, and they send some pretty good music that's popular and trendy, or at least you know, uh, you know when they first came out, they were. So you know, it's just very very hard. It's hard to make it in the industry to begin with. But then when you're limited about uh, you know your flex, you don't you don't have as much flexibility as far as your message. You know, I think it makes it that much more difficult. And they shouldn't feel bad about that. I mean, you know, you don't have to you don't have to be popular and trendy, um, you, and you shouldn't have to change the message to be to fit into the world. Delivery, yes, well, but message, no. I, I, but I, I think I there's a lot that, more flexibility but, uh, available on the message. I think there's a lot more flexibility yeah. available on the message if we would just open our eyes to to realize that it doesn't have to be the same same three point sermon every song. On that, you read. Right. I mean, you read scripture. There's an incredible diversity of storytelling, and I've been going through. I've got a couple sons. I've got four children, but um, my sons and I have been going through. They're in second grade, and we've been reading through scripture. And I, we're in the middle of First Samuel, which means we started Genesis, and we've there's a few chapters there where I'm like, I don't know that I really want to read Genesis 37 and the raping that happened. Or no, it wasn't a rape. There's that rape happened. The rape happens later. I don't know if I want to read some of these stories later, but they're an integral part of the story. I, I bet you guys had a lot of fun with Leviticus too. Leviticus and Deuteronomy, <laughs> man, you guys already got through the hardest part. Yeah, we, we kind of I kind of sailed through Leviticus. I've been I, I hit the high points. Leviticus. There's only three things to say about Leviticus. Is that anything? Here's the book of Leviticus in three three lines. Okay, whatever is um, whatever is dirty needs to be cleansed. Whatever is profane needs to be burned, and everything needs to be brought as holy unto the Lord. And very good. <laughs> their laws those, those can break the, down to that. I was I was very interested to see what the high points of Leviticus were going to be, but I think you captured them pretty well. You shall not oil. It's the center book in the Torah, right? It's the it's a third of five books in the Torah, and seventy five percent of it's the direct word of God. So when you look at Judaism, that is the most important book because it's spoken directly from the mouth of God. Now I agree, it's very difficult to go through and and teach uh, your kids these stories and. Um, and, and the Old Testament is, is wrought with, you know, very difficult to swallow things, even as a as a Christian or as a Jew. I mean, it's it's tough stuff, you know. But but I think uh, you know, I think the attempt of what you're doing is, is admirable. I mean, depending on the ages of the children, obviously, um, it, it's a it's a tough for sure. <laughs> It's yeah. just basic exposure at this point. But I think there's so much more. I mean, what the interesting part of the faith, the, the boring part of the faith is the basic everybody does what's right inside of the law, the law, the Lord. No, that actually really hardly ever happens. The real interesting the way, part of the faith is how do we, how does the rubber meet the road? Like, how do we make the faith work in various circumstances? And that's replete in the Old and New Testament. And there's plenty of opportunities for great storytelling throughout that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the um, way, Josh, we just had a request from uh, we just had a request from one of our listeners for you to, uh, to for you to write a Bible that describes every book in three sentences. I'd, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I particularly like to request that for uh, Deuteronomy and probably Judges as well. And oh, and of course Revelation. By the way, listeners, there is no S in Revelation. I know that I've mentioned that in this space before. But uh, there is only one revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. There's only one of them. It is not revelation. Um, anyway, so uh, please continue. 
carry on. Well, that's uh, with that 198 sentences you have to write to cover the whole Bible, <laughs> man. Get done. Well, see, but I haven't read exactly. the whole Bible and studied the whole thing extensively. My wife has done half, and I've done the other half, and so we work great as a team. So she's she's the one that's done the eschatology. I focus on the other end. Right. Yeah. I I, I mean, I, I love going through it. I've, I've gone through it several times pretty in-depth. Um, I mean, I enjoy the ride. I enjoy the narrative from from start to finish. Um, and I think every time you go through it, you kind of kind of learn something new or, or mm-hmm. – Information changes, maybe not because the information itself changed, but your perspective changes as you get older. And as far as making something hip or where the rubber meets the road, you know, I could have re- I could have read the entire Bible as an eight-year-old, and I wouldn't have understood anything. Um, you know, now as mm-hmm. a 34-year-old man, I can go through it and pick out completely different things. Ten years from now, I could go through it again and pick up a whole different set of, um, you know, ideas and thoughts and 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 stuff. So that's maybe the religion isn't uh, changing, but the people are adapting, or the people are changing themselves and how and their approaches. And I think it's why it's so hard um, in the in a secular world, as you you know, as the story you were talking about with the Occupy groups. You know, we are so far apart from the Occupy San Francisco that well, we, there's not even a point of talking to them. I think that's a I think that's a faulty logic, and 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 because so many people in their religious maturity individually, um, there are so many different places to not be able to communicate with those you disagree with. Um, is extremely dang- it's an extremely dangerous thing thing to do. You're you're living in a vacuum, um, and why do you believe what you believe if you if it can't withstand a challenge? You know, so you should be, and it can help you grow and build in your own faith. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I was damn near atheist for the vast majority of my life. Um, and then for school purposes, I went to a private Christian college, and it started me on a on a small path. But then I got into a Bible study, and I still wasn't religious. Um, but I've really grown over the last three to four years. Um, and so everything that I believe comes directly from scripture and, and reading the scripture and understanding it within its context. So I didn't grow up with a lot of these preconceived notions that I believe Christians have a lot today um, and how they approach and handle situations. Mine was a strictly knowledge-based beginning um, in religion, and I, and I think we get so far away from that, and that's why, our, that's why the religion suffers so mightily, because you know, especially on social media, you, you put a religious quote up, which I never do, right? But someone puts up a religious quote, and then someone comments something that, quote-unquote, easily debunks that. Well, that's because if you don't have a true understanding of the context and what the Scripture says, then there's no way you can defend what it says. And we just get this, like, shotgun blast information when we go to church. You know, the message today is about hope, but there's no actual scriptural learning. We're just going to pull three sentences from three different parts of the Bible and then go, you know, be fruitful. So I I think it's very dangerous because we don't teach scripture anymore. The fundamental nature of what it is, why it was written, and how it was devised. So Josh and I have been talking about this recently, um, and 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 I think he probably thinks that the problem is a little more solvable uh, than I do. Um, but one thing that we've been discussing is the fact that many people 
don't – well, actually, the first, thing, the first thing that I want to say before we get to that is there, the ability to still have constructive conversation with people that you disagree with that's kind of what the whole that's that's what the academy of ophthalmology is built on um and it is a skill that a lot of people don't have and social media has brought that problem to the forefront because everybody's views are out in public now um but uh but so people respond to that sort of thing frequently in in a very emotional way and i think one challenge that we're going to deal with on social media and in church is getting people to think more about things, to think critically. And that plays to what, what you were saying a second ago, because the, the problem that Josh and I have discussed, and Josh, I'll let you speak on this in just a second as well. But the problem that we've discussed is it, people, many people, and I would say even a majority of people, do not go to church or the synagogue or the, you know, the, the temple, the, you know, the mosque, wherever it is that they go for their religious practices. They don't go to, they don't go there to think. They go there to feel. And so, when you're dealing with people who are approaching a a religion from a primarily emotional standpoint that it your your theology is going to come out of the minds of a small percentage of the religious population and i think that that's a i think that that's a dangerous place for us to be because we want you want to consider everyone's perspective and 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 you want to be able to you know have these converse these kinds of conversations with everyone but the truth is and and this is i think this is where josh and i may diverge in our thinking, I don't know that there's a way to solve that problem because I've been trying to solve it at here at the Academy for five years now on Facebook, maybe five and a half years, I think, is about how long the Academy's been around. And the truth is there are a lot of people that just won't dial into issues like this. They would much rather look at, and these are words I've said to you, Josh, pictures of puppies and kittens and cute babies and by the way, I have no problem with that, but it just means that you're not going to be able to engage with a significant piece of your population on these kinds of issues. And so it's very difficult to enact change in any significant way because, because a lot of people are showing up to church to sing the songs and feel the feels, and, um, and Jesus is a, is a feeling to them rather than a thought. Um, so that's kind of where I come down on it, and I just don't know how solvable that problem is. Josh, what are your thoughts on this issue? Oh, gosh, a dozen and one, but I'm going to try and limit it to less than that. So, um, you know, okay. I think you're absolutely right it, um, in the sense that most of the church can't be fixed in it. And so I'm going to – I may not have presented that well in our dialogues before, but I, when I think about it and the way you – kind of the way you frame things, you know, in culture, 10% of the population is, is are the thought contributors. And that's just this is a you know I just pulled that statistic out of nowhere, but um practically made up, but roughly you know and so it used to be we've gotten a little confused because it's gotten so easy to participate in the conversation nowadays, but in terms of actual thought leaders um instead of just random followers and followers has a completely different connotation than it used to you know ten years ago pre twitter when was pre twitter what was that two thousand seven so um, yeah, Twitter. You know, I mean, Twitter was 2000. Twitter started in 2006, but it didn't really enter the public consciousness until probably 2008 or 2009. 
Right. So the concept of followers has just gotten completely different. But in terms of, I think you're right that the conversation actually is going to happen within 10% of the population. Probably, you know, and probably seven. 70% of them are listening to the podcast right now because it's just not that large a group, and I hear the following is pretty good. But um, so it needs to – there is the thought, there is the thought leadership that happens, and that dialogue is going to happen in certain areas, and you have to give and take in academia and amongst others, thought leaders within the church. But, you know, as I think about it, I think 90% of the culture is just going to be experiential in their faith, and there's a significant aspect of that where those of us who are more inclined towards the dialogue and thought leadership style of things, we need to kind of figure out a way to be okay with that um, and, to, and to really kind of appreciate and embrace that purely experiential side of the faith. On the other, but on the other hand, we also have to be really careful on the experiential side because somebody is directing the thinking of that expression. Uh, there was this guy I mentioned before uh, in my conversations with Ben, Francis Schaeffer wrote this book, How Should We Then Live? The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture. And he traced how thought preceded art and art preceded culture. So that as philosophers started changing the way they were thinking about philosophy, then a generation later, art started reflecting that those philosophical changes started being reflecting in the way that artists were expressing themselves, both like visual artists and performing artists. And then eventually culture started internalizing that. So it took two or three generations for a new philosophy to really kind of take hold within culture. Pattern fits in a lot of different ways. The church changed the thinking and the behavior of the Roman culture with regards to abortion through years mm -hmm. of just saying life is important we're going to take care of the babies that you cast aside on the, on the side of the road, and we're going to shame the entire Roman culture as a result. And eventually, they stopped throwing babies away. And it really, there was a, it was based upon a philosophical foundation of the importance of individual life that then influenced the Christian's actions, and that played out, to a, a, out over a series of generations, changing the culture on that. So that, mm -hmm. you know, things are different than they were before. And so that's where I think we, we kind of have to be careful as thought leaders or as those who are actually thinking about some of these deeper questions on how our, to make sure we're thinking well about them and that we're being careful about that. I've always wondered about Paul and his saying, chief among sinners uh, am I, and that statement, that, and part of that is kind of an evolution in his writing, but I think there's also an aspect of a, that Paul realizes that the worst like um, woe that Jesus gave towards the scribes and Pharisees was the fact that they um, they led others astray, that they taught them poorly. He's like he didn't really criticize parts of them, but he's like it's because you lead them astray that you should be have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the deepest ocean on that, yeah, which is the absolute right. worst thing a Jewish man could experience. Yeah, there's um, the greater sin. And then Paul's like, that's what I did, and it was horrible. And so we have to – I'm a teacher in the church. I, I'm scared every Sunday that I get up and teach that I might lead someone astray. And, and Paul, you know, Paul wrote Romans, and he also wrote Acts, and, and it clearly lays out, so, uh, you know, what a church should be, okay? And I think this is part of the issue with church with me personally, um, you know, then you were talking about how people go to church for emotion and feeling, okay? Churches have adapted their style um, because people react more on, on emotion and feeling rather, other than knowledge. They, they feel an emotional connection. However, 
the church has changed so much um, that it's really gotten away with what the, the pillars of the church should be as laid out in Acts um, by Paul. Paul says it's supposed to be based on four things, the four pillars of the church, the teaching, the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Scripture, fellowship, the breaking of bread or Eucharist, um, and prayer. And I could make an argument that most churches do three of those things. Most of them have fellowship. Most of them, you know, Methodists have uh, communion every month. Uh, most of them pray. Uh, but very few cover the apostles' teaching or the teaching of Scripture as a whole. How much time do you spend, how much time did you spend in your last service learning and reading and going over the Bible itself? That happens so infrequently these days. You go in, like I said, the, today's message is on hope, and then the pastor pulls out three different sentences, you know, from, from three different books relating to hope, and that's the hope message for the day. But that's not teaching scripture. Why do we care why, you know, why do we care what Second Corinthians say if we don't know why it was written? What is it for? So because churches gotten, have gotten so far away from the four pillars, that's why a church has become such more, so much more of an emotional experience. And, and I think that is for the service to the church. I think there's very great pastors out there, there's very great churches out there, but as a whole, they need to go back to what Scripture actually says what Paul wrote about the churches should be based on. And they just don't do it these days. They don't, they don't go over They don't cover the teachings. They don't cover Scripture, and they don't teach you the Bible. So that's why it's not knowledge-based anymore. It's emotionally based. And then when you leave Sunday, you feel great because you're in the vacuum with a whole bunch of people that believe just like you. And then you leave, and you feel threatened by everyone else because you don't know why you're not supposed to be for abortion or you don't learn why you're, uh, you know, supposed to believe this or that. It was an emotional feeling and you gained no knowledge. You're no better for it. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons we have so many issues today. They, they get the emotional experience, not the educational experience from church. And then they go out in the world and they, and they get criticized for their belief, for their beliefs and they can't properly defend them. Um, you know, I I, God, was, I, I didn't grow up in a religious household, but I, I never knew that, that Christmas wasn't actually Jesus's birthday. You know, <laughs> but this is what I, this is what most people are taught and raised. And wait, wait, Scott, alone, are you guys, you're, are you telling me Christmas is not Jesus's actual birthday? <laughs> no, not at all. For any of our for but, any of our listeners who not, don't know, it's not even uh, that. It's, there's a lot of things that are in scripture that are not taught at church. You know, and you know, Jonah actually died in the well. He wasn't alive in the well. Um, that's actually, you know, and and it's not taught. And even even when it comes to um, Easter, you know, Easter wasn't Friday. You know, the, Jesus wasn't crucified on a Friday and resurrected on a Sunday. That didn't actually happen. It was it was more a Wednesday and a Saturday. But they never go over the principles, and they never go over the scripture. So people go through the whole lives not knowing these things, and they get challenged on something, and then it shakes their faith because they went to church and they had an emotional experience. They didn't have a biblical, they didn't have a scriptural one. So they get challenged mm-hmm. out in public, and it shakes their faith, and maybe they go astray, or maybe they just back into their hole and get defensive and say everyone's out to attack them. This is the fundamental problem with with church and Christianity as it's, uh, as it stands today. 
And until we get back to that and those four pillars of what the church should be and that educational knowledge of Scripture, we're not going to be able to solve these problems. I, I'm not sure that I agree. I, I think that this is, honestly, this is the way that it always was. I think that you had your, you know, your scholars um, were the people who set down, uh, you know, who, uh, who wrote the Bible, for example, and wrote, uh, you know, the vast majority of our teachings, both religious and non-religious. And I think that most people sort of understood between, you know, between 2 and 10% of what the scholars understood about things. And they were busy, you know, uh, singing the songs and feeling the feels. And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I, I think you may be giving a little too much credit to earlier generations, and by earlier generations, I mean, you know, over the past 2,000 years, and in cases of some religions, I mean, you know, older than that, um, but if we're talking to people here about Christianity, then I, I think you're probably giving early Christians and Christians in the Middle Ages and, and other, you know, other eras of human history, I, I, I don't think that everybody always, I think that, you know, you, you get an array of if you if you sort into any given human population, you get an array of personality types, and most of those personality types are not those that would produce scholars. There's reason that most people are not scholars, and there's nothing wrong with not being a scholar, um, which I guess kind of plays to my point that I think that it has always been this way. I think that the teachers are a very specific group of people that are wired a very specific way. The, the dopamine and serotonin receptors in their brains are triggered by different things than, uh, than by the people who want to sing the songs and feel the feel. Um, so, and here's why I would disagree I, with you, Ben. Okay. Muslims, Go for it. Muslims know the Quran. All of them do. Mm-hmm. You know, they grew up learning, reading, and studying the Quran. Jews mm-hmm. know the Bible. They grew up, studied it, and learned it. Mm-hmm. Christians do not know the Bible. And and some, yes, are more adept to learning the information. But if this is something that I'm going to live my life by, all of my decisions that I'll ever make in life are supposed to be based in this book, I have to go and read the dang book. There's just no other way around it, and 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 that's why I would disagree. If, if this is the pinnacle of who you are and who you're supposed to be out in the world, then you need to know at least what it says. You need to go through it. You need to read it. You need to study it. And we, especially today, I think it's gotten worse. I think we, uh, as a society, as a modern society, I don't think we do that. And our churches don't teach it. You can take well, we have a, a pattern. Bible class. But churches, which is supposed to be the time that you go in and you convene and you meet with other people that, that go over your faith, it's not taught. Well, right. and the church's Josh, structure you're, you're is just a, a point. Yeah, the church's structure is just not, it's not designed to facilitate a, a knowledge advancement, really. It's the, the whole, the passive style. And, and Ben had a bit of experience with the way that I'm trying to adjust that. But even the little, the few changes that I make on our for my little group on Sunday mornings, um, pale in comparison of what really is needed for effective knowledge growth in that. But it, a lot of that, so much of it, I think there's a lot of it where 
we have just bought into the culture around us, which is an outsourcing culture. And there's just so many. We outsource the educa- I outsource the education of my kids. I've phenomenal public schools in the area, so I have no problem doing that. And I know a lot of the, we know a lot of the teachers personally, but I outsource. We outsource that. Um, if you have an emotional issue, then that gets outsourced and it gets paid for. Uh, you know, you, your psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor will bill you on an hourly basis for the time that's required. That. There's so many things that we outsource, and there's the, I mean, great economic reasons for this, and Ben and I have talked about that, both having studied economics extensively. But in the, the result is that in many ways it depersonalizes our interactions with people, and, so, and the church has taken that over, and it's created this large emotional worship service that also in, disconnects you from the teachers and from the people around you in that worship service. Um, on that, and it it does us a disservice. The the way, I think the way to solve the problem is, and friends of mine and I have talked about this, is you just have to do a radical rethinking of the way church works, and it's going to go back to a lot of the way it was effectively for millennia, home-based churches. It's very going to be very relational focused, and it's going to be, it also requires a huge time commitment. If you're going to invest in learning scripture, you really have to personally invest in that on that. And so that's where a lot of my personal growth, similar to Scott, has come from a significant personal time investment in the study of scripture. Partly for yeah. the and, preparation and, for and Sunday reason, school teaching, but mostly for personal edification and growth. And and I would I would agree with that largely, but I think the reason why the church isn't structured for that type of environment is because they have led it that way. I mean a synagogue you go to a synagogue and they read through the they read through the through the Bible. That's that's exactly what they do. Okay, well today's the fifth of May, so everyone open up your uh, books to Ruth chapter two, because here's what we're covering. And you could go to any synagogue at any given time, and they're covering that same scripture, you know. And that's exactly what they do. They have the reading from from the Torah, then they have a reading from the um, prophets, uh, and a reading of Psalms. So. It is structured around first education, and that and that is how Christianity is not like that. That's how that's how Jesus attended. Jesus was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, and that is how he went through his entire life, going to synagogue, learning scripture. Um, but for whatever reason, Christians don't. By and large, obviously there's there's exceptions, but I think we are. When you look at other religions we are probably, as a whole, the most uneducated about our religion. Um, I think you can put us up against a Jew or put us up against a Muslim or put us up against a Hindu, and on the whole, on average, they're going to have more knowledge than the Christian does. And I think that's why I was so adamant about not being a Christian for so much of my life, because they would say some things just, just didn't resonate with me, it didn't settle with me, and then I went through and I actually read and studied scripture for a very long time mm-hmm. from a very, very great instructor. And I said, well, my problem isn't with religion. My problem is with Christianity and how it's being practiced and, and how it, it, the Kim Davis situation, it drives me nuts because it, sin, it makes every other Christian look like just some... Um, mean, non you know, it just, it just makes everything look so bad when it doesn't have to be that way. And it's the same thing, and I know we talked about it a little bit before the, the blog, that it's the same thing with God Bless Bluebell. 
it is such a misappropriation of God's blessings, and, and it aggravates me to no extent. But this is what we do with Christianity. The biggest movement, the biggest thing that we'll do for our faith is we'll go through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru and we'll say, God bless Bluebell. There are Christians being massacred overseas. I haven't heard one word about it in church. And this is yeah. new information. There is a secular radio host. Well, he has a secular program, but he's a religious man that is raising millions of dollars to get these people out of Syria. Churches aren't. Mm-hmm. So where are our values? Where are our principles? It, it is not. It is not what the religion teaches. What we are doing is not what the religion teaches. And that inconsistency, that hypocrisy, that's what everybody else in the secular world sees. That's why Christianity has such a hard time adapting and being so much more mainstream than it can be. We have to educate ourselves first. And everything I say comes back to that, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but until we get that problem fixed, and it has to start in the churches, the religion is going to continue to suffer because of it. Right. So you brought up God Bless Bluebell, Scott, which I think is, uh, we've got a few minutes left, uh, and I want to at least briefly touch on that. is there like is there any rhyme or reason to this at all, or did someone just decide if we slap God on it, then people will stop arguing with us? Like, I mean, is yeah. there really anything it, it more feels, to it than it that? Feels, ben, it's your, you go to church and it's all emotion based. Okay, there is no oh, how do I put this without being offensive? There is no reason. The company made a mistake. They knew about it, okay? People died because of it. One social media post about God bless the families that died, it's God hmm. bless Bluebell. Why? I think they're a company. They deserve a second chance. They screwed up royally. They need to suffer those and pay those consequences. They need to rectify first the situations with the families that were harmed and and it suffered because of what they did. But then... They make retribution, and then they can make a comeback. Why appropriate God with that? We don't, we don't say, God bless the man that shot Darren Goforth. Why say God, why be so, why slap the name of God on something? It, it's all because of emotion. They like Bluebell. They're attached to it. It's a Texas company. Texans are loyal. God bless Bluebell. Come back, Bluebell. Not your snack. Today's Bluebell Day. God bless Bluebell. What about the people that died? If if my wife or my children died because of listeria from something that this company knew, I would be, you know how hard this would be for me every time I see someone say God bless Bluebell on Facebook? It is the most stupid, asinine thing I have ever seen. Well, not ever, but I have seen in a long time. And there's no reason to put God on it. And then if you attack that, if you say, why are you doing that? Screw Bluebell. They killed a lot of people. Then you're not attacking Bluebell. You're attacking God. You don't love the Lord. I, I just, I hate it. It's the most, it's the biggest misappropriation of God's blessing. Well, Sunday Stewart likes to tell me all the time that I uh, love Disney more than I love Jesus. So uh, I get told all the time that I don't love God. Um, but, Josh, in, we got about three minutes left, and I want to get a brief opinion from you before we, uh, on the whole God bless Bluebell saga before we, uh, before we close things out. Um, anything to add to what Scott said? I, I'm trying to figure out a way that I can roll my eyes on the God bless Bluebell thing on a podcast. I'm, <laughs> I'm not effectively... 
accomplishing that. You know, and Scott, I think you're wrong in the sense, one, you clearly have never tasted Millennium Crunch before. Otherwise, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like this intolerant, Josh. Oh, I, am, I, I will pray for you um, <laughs> on that. And, it's, and I, don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a problem because that they're acting out of emotion. I think that they're just reacting out of their craving for Millennium Crunch or um, Happy Trails is my personal favorite. Oh, those are things. No, I actually think you're, I, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that we just completely seem to have missed the boat that people actually died as a result of this um, on that. And we've been thinking with um, lower, our lower extremities. I mean, and that just, it's amazing the way that we create these little idols in our life. And they just, um, and I'm saying this in the midst of a football town in the middle of, at the start of a football country, football season, you know, we, we are so, C.S. Lewis put it so well, we are so easily distracted by ice cream, by college football, by all sorts of little things along Squirrel. the way. And we, we don't see, you know, we don't, seem to have a way of of mitigating of just of prioritizing appropriately the things that we worship um and we just always we're always going to struggle with this and we always do uh thankfully we have the holy spirit that can gently and sometimes not so gently guide us back into the right worship for god which is ultimately what the whole thing was about to begin with anyways but you, you know that's it's just indicative of humanity's struggle with idolatry here this month at Josh, Josh, what you may not know about Scott is Scott actually has a pretty strong background in ice cream. He may be lactose yes, intolerant, but he's he's not unfamiliar with the world of ice cream. But uh, which we'll we can get to that another time. But in the meantime, I thank you both for uh, for your hour. Uh, we are almost out of time, and uh, and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. We're going to be doing. We're going to be doing a lot more stuff with uh, with live shows upcoming and, like, taking calls and things like that as, uh, as time goes on. But in the meantime, thank you for uh, bearing with us through our evolution over the last several months. And, again, Josh and Scott, thank you very much for the uh, for your time and for the discussion. Um, I uh, I appreciate you both. And our right, listeners will be back I in – Absolutely. Our listeners will be back in the next uh, in the next several days, probably uh, next weekend is what we're looking at for our next show. And uh, everybody have a great Sunday. We will we will talk with you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Osmology podcast. For more information, check out accessfilms.com. Follow us on Twitter at underscore Osmology and like our page at facebook.com forward slash Academy of Awesomeology. Follow your host on Twitter at Benjamin Wiggins. And feel free to like his page at Facebook.com forward slash Access Ben Wiggins. Be sure to check out the Access Films podcast as well on AccessFilms.com forward slash radio. The Academy is adjourned.